0: Get ready to step into scripture with Matt and Tina.
1: My name is Tina Wilson. I'm a pastor's wife and a mom of seven. I'm also the author of Step Into Scripture, and I'm so happy to have my husband, Matt, co-hosting this season with me. Matt, will you share about yourself?
0: I'm Matt Wilson. I'm pastor at Ecclesia Christian Church in Conway, South Carolina. I am the most fortunate man I know having you as my wife, having Ecclesia as the church I get to serve at, and having the kids that I have to bring me joy every day.
1: Thank you so much, Matt. So we are two weeks into a year-long chronological reading plan. Today in this podcast episode, we're going to be reflecting on our reading from days 8 through 14, which is Job chapter 17 through chapter 39. So we're going to talk about Job today. I'll start off by saying this used to be my second least favorite book to read, only second to Leviticus.
0: I remember one time in Tennessee, I was young, like 17 years old, and I drove to do this VBS for kids in this little mountain church, and I'd planned out this amazing lesson. Uh, it was really easy, comprehensive. The kids could have learned it and done it. It would, have, it would have been great. And the lady that had asked me to come put it on walks up right as I've got these kids' attention. And she says, and today he's going to teach you all about Job.
1: What a terrible VBS.
0: It was it was a rough one.
1: That's awful. But
0: that, w- that was actually my introduction to, to trying to uh, understand Job better because I'd never read it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, who does, right? Mm-hmm. We read the very beginning, which has a narrative section, which is fine. It's telling a story. But then it gets into these cycles of dialogue, and we're going to talk a little bit about that structure today. And in these cycles, I think the reason that I disliked Job for so many years is it was difficult to tell who was telling the truth. Yeah. And if you don't read it to the very end, if you check out during the three cycles of dialogue you're not going to find that out because you're not going to hang in there until god speaks
0: you know that's why i think job is one of the most important books for a christian to read because we surround ourselves with friends that all have input and advice and we live in a time where people are not shy to quote it as though god said it yeah people speak on the behalf of god all the time and and we tend to let that weigh us down, scare us, hinder us or even motivate us for the wrong things. And when we read the book of Job and we we see how it plays out, we realize, ooh, not everybody that says the Lord told me to tell you or not everyone that says they yes. they were able to have a celestial Uh, vision or someone appear to them, not everyone that speaks on behalf of the Lord is actually speaking on behalf of the Lord.
1: That's a very good point. But if you want to know what God actually does say, the book of Job contains the largest, longest section of dialogue from God himself in the Bible. So totally worth our reading. Now, Job raises a lot of questions, especially ponderings about the whys related to suffering. And so let's just start by commenting on those questions. If Job causes you to really question things, that's great because A way that we learn and grow is by wrestling through questions about the character of God. Something that I discuss in the book, Step Into Scripture, is our need to read the Bible through a God-centered lens rather than a me-centered lens. And To do that, we have to seek to recognize the character of God in our daily reading as we're working through the Bible. And If you're reading the book of Job, I hope it's helping you to recognize just how multidimensional the character of God is. one of the big mistakes that Job's friends make is they try to box God in. Yeah. And God is so much bigger than that.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like when we were kids, they had that song, If I Had a Little White Box to Put My Jesus In. And, and, you know, I I remember getting older and thinking about the lyrics of that song and thinking, why would we put Jesus in a box? And a little bit later, I got to looking at it. I was like, you know what? We do this. Yeah. We try to keep Jesus manageable. We try to make God manageable. instead of realizing how far above us he is we try to bring him down to our level and in doing that we we humanize him and and worse sometimes we devalue him yes you know
1: well i've been totally guilty of this i love to operate in the realm of black and white and have absolute answers to everything a struggle for me early in my christian walk uh this all-or-nothing personality that I tend to have really led me into legalism. And I want to just define that for you. Religious legalism focuses on strict observance of laws or moral codes with the assumption that such obedience is a means of gaining divine favor. And that's pertinent here because really that's what Job's friends are guilty of. We see them making these strict if then assessments. If you are suffering, Job, then you must be in sin.
0: Well, not only that, but we also in our legalism tend to create our own law. Yeah. And so we use God as a weapon. And so you're not doing things the way I think you should. Yeah. And so if you were doing it the way I think you should, it wouldn't be this way. If you if you carefully look, Job's friends, you can pick up on some jealousy. Yes. Job has been highly favored and blessed. I mean, that's not the word used for him, but he has been favored. Yeah. And you can tell, well, you have to have done something. Right. And they even point out, oh, now that he's not on top, now he begins to suffer and he begins to blame God. But there's a lot of times legalism is is really us justifying ourselves and our wants and our desires by weaponizing God yeah. to use against others.
1: Yeah. So we are going to have any legalism, any attempts to box God in really challenged as we read the book of Job. And so it can be uncomfortable for us. And I think it's because we like scenarios where we can prompt or predict the outcome. We like to know if I act in this way, then this will be the result. But What we're going to find in Job is that we don't have the ability by our actions to put God on the obligation end of responding to us in any particular way. And so it can be uncomfortable for us to see that God is in control. We are not in control. We do not get to dictate the character of God. We are so much smaller in our thinking. Yeah. Than God is, and so I hope that as you work through that discomfort, the wrestling with God that comes from reading the Book of Job, you will also find comfort in it because the good lesson that we learn here is that ultimately God is in control and He is sovereign even over our suffering. So,
0: like you could take Deuteronomy twenty-eight, yeah, blessings and curses, yeah. right? And those are promises from God, but if if our, our lives were constantly blessed because we had this checklist formula, which God gives us. Yeah. And if it were constantly just working out where it was always easy, there was never any struggles, then we would get to the point our faith was in the checklist. And one of the things, you know, I was looking at Memories on Facebook the other day, and I saw your post over the past New Year's, and it seems like there'd be a great year, and then, well, this was a year of struggle, but we're looking forward to something greater, and this is all the good God did in spite of that. And then there'd be another year where it's like, this was a great year, and then there'd be another one where it's was like, well, last year I had some roller coasters, but look at everything God did. And I've realized, if it was always good all the time without yeah. the, the drama, or the the, the, the the conflictual moments that we would face, the conflict that would come up, then we wouldn't be able to have faith in God that we have walked in in obedience to his commands and decrees. But sometimes we have to face the edge of the mountain or the water's edge before God parts it. And that yeah. brings us to a, a greater walk with God. But, That's
1: a great point. You
0: know, one of the biggest truths is that even if you're righteous, the righteous suffer at times, and the wicked are going to prosper at times. Right. You know, it it doesn't matter. I mean, there's going to be times where you are doing what's right and someone is prospering that seems to be living contrary to what God says or, or even just morally they're contrary to it. And so we get to this place like, God, why am I not being blessed like they are? And we have to realize that sometimes doing what's right paints a target on you and the devil is very real. Yeah. And there is an opposition to God's plan. And one of those is like Job. Look at David. Yeah. God had a plan for David. David was going to be the, the line of the Messiah. God was going to have a covenant relationship with him. Yeah. But even though he was righteous, he faced persecution because he was pursued by his predecessor, King Saul. Right, And there were re- repeated attempts on his life again and again. And though David was righteous and had favor with God, there was and he was anointed by the prophet Samuel to be God's chosen one, yeah. it doesn't mean that... He wasn't going to be persecuted, but the thing of it is, God finds the diamond. He sets everything up, but you have to go through the pressure. Yes. Right? So God is making a diamond, but you can't become a diamond without the pressure. Look at Psalm 26, verse 1, this plea from David while he's being persecuted. He says, Vindicate me, Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I've trusted in the Lord and have not faltered. So that's a pretty bold statement. Yeah. I've led a blameless life. And this is David and his youth. But there's going to be times where even when we're doing what's right, we're going to suffer. And it's not because it's our fault. Right. It's just there's going to be hard times. And maybe you haven't done something wrong. And that makes it hard. Like, God, I get it. If I've, if I've sinned, right. I get this. And there are times you see in David's life where he's like, if I am wrong, correct me. And I've had prayers like that. God, if if I'm wrong, show me. But just like Job, we see David in this place to where we desire vindication. Either show me where I'm wrong or take care of this problem. Vindicate me, prove to everybody else that I've not done anything. Man,
1: I've sat in that seat so many times when I feel like I didn't do anything to bring this wrong on myself. I'm just begging God, vindicate me, vindicate me. And the hard truth is, we don't necessarily have a promise of vindication in this lifetime. Or,
0: you know, one of the biggest things, God doesn't vindicate you. And so, Sometimes we, we're like, vindicate me right now. Yes. And God's like, no, 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 I'm setting it up for something so much better. That's true. If I vindicated you right now, I would vindicate you on a small level, but I'm going to vindicate you on an eternal level. Look at Job 19, verse 23 and 24. He says, oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. (laughs) (laughs) I can't help but just read this. And I, I picture Job like, I wish somebody would just record what's happening right now. And the irony is, it's recorded.
1: And here we are, millennia later, reading it right now.
0: Yeah, and so it, let's, let's just look at why. Like, why he wished his words would be written down. Why his claims of innocence, uh, while he's suffering, this could be recorded and preserved. If you look at verse 25 and 26, it says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end, He will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed... Yet in my flesh, I will see God. That to me is just so amazing. I mean, Job has like, if if only what I'm going through right now, what I'm saying could be recorded because I know the Messiah is coming.
1: Yeah.
0: I know God will. And that is so insightful to think as far back as Job was, yeah. they knew God would come to earth. Yeah. And he knew it wasn't going to be in his lifetime, but he knew still, I will see God. Yes. And so... The thing is, even if this world does not see our truth, if the world never vindicates us, we will stand before all who have ever lived in the presence of God Almighty, and he will vindicate us. And one of the greatest promises we have is, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so I do love that in this, although Job couldn't count on being vindicated by men, He expresses, even in his concern, even in his frustration, this trust in God's justice. And he knew that in the end, if not before that, that God would ultimately defend him.
1: Well, and what's amazing is that's not just something that Job could claim. We actually have an example of that for Christians today of an ultimate vindication, not on this earth, but it is coming.
0: Yeah, when we look at the early church, you know, the early church is not filled with stories of vindication. Right. You know, we get to read the, the, the account of it yeah. where we see them vindicated because of the Bible, but people in their lifetime didn't. Right. The, the martyrs of the early church just died while people praised their death. Yes. And so if we look at Revelation 6, 9 through 11, sometimes we think, oh, the Bible doesn't ever say what happens to them. But if we look at this, it says, when he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long sovereign Lord, holy and true until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. This, wow. is, this is after they've died in the presence of God, crying out from the throne. How long?
1: Yeah,
0: Like we still want you to vindicate us. Then each of them was given a white robe, oh, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of the fellow servants, their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. And again, this kind of brings us back to that place of, you know, my timing, when are you gonna vindicate me? And God's like, Kairos, you know? I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do it in the right, time, the right time when I can vindicate all of your brothers and sisters. Yeah. And so the picture here of souls being martyred, they, they still have faith. So crying out, God, when, how long, doesn't mean you don't have faith. Right. It actually means I do have faith. I believe you can, and I'm waiting for you. And so these slain, they're pictured underneath the altar because of their sacrificial deaths, crying out for vindication. I love that they're given these white robes. Yeah. I I think that's so important. They're given white robes that picture their purity while they're crying out what we might picture as a complaint. Right. How long? God, where are you at? What are you going to do? And yet God still gives them white robes. Well, in
1: John, he's receiving this vision in like the mid to late first century A.D. So the church has been persecuted by the Jews. Then they're being persecuted by the Romans. When, when this vision is being received by John of these martyrs, the end of this persecution is not close yet. It's not in sight. It's not going to be in John's lifetime.
0: No, they were persecuted by the Jews. They were persecuted by the church. The church persecuted the church. Yeah. And then they were persecuted by Rome. And I mean, to this day, Christians are still being persecuted all over the world. Right. And so the full number of those who are to be vindicated has still not come to an end. Right. And I think it's beautiful because if you look at the next chapter, chapter 7, verse 9, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Just You, you just feel that for a second? I mean, this is that moment to where the church that has expanded throughout the world is now standing in front of the Lamb and they were wearing white robes (laughs) and were, were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders of the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, praise, and glory. Here's the key piece right here. And wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever, amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered sir you know he said these are those who have come out of the great tribulation they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb see, do you see this yeah so these are the ones that have been given the white robes what is the tribulation that's the persecution they right. were that's them dying without vindication yes right now they're before the throne of God and the Lamb. They've been washed. They've been cleansed. They are purified. So no matter what the world did, that doesn't have an effect on what God thinks of them, no right. matter how the world viewed it. But it still matters. Yeah. When will we be vindicated? So we ask ourselves, how can blood wash anything and make it white? Remember in chapter 6 they receive robes presenting their purity and faithfulness. Now the full number of those sealed in Christ are robed in white because they have died for the lamb. Yeah. And so the blood of lamb cleanses the blood of the lamb cleanses us of all unrighteousness. But imagine when we give our blood for Christ as well. And so we may not be physically dying right now for Christ because of our persecution but we are bleeding spiritually for Christ. And so we are sacrificing right now in his sacrifice. And I just think that's so awesome because like the lamb was killed in faithfulness to God, these Christians have died in faithfulness to the lamb and they had no vindication on earth, not, not in their lifetime, not in this lifetime even, but they gave their lives because they believed in a redeemer who would ultimately bring about their vindication. Just like Job said, I know. Right. I know he will he will walk this earth, and I will see him one day.
1: Well, and that's something we need to hold on to because because today, us right here, living in America, where we enjoy religious freedom, we are not being martyred for the cause of Christ. And yet we we many times live in ways where we are trying to walk faithfully with God. We're trying to live lives of righteousness and holiness. and and still, we're suffering when, like you said, we look around and we see people who live in a way that is totally contrary to the word of God and they prosper and and we ask these wrestling questions. God, why? Why am I suffering? Why are they okay?
0: So look at Matthew 13 in verse 24. This parable has constantly stood out to me. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Now, just check this out for a second. The, the master sowed good seed, and while everyone was sleeping, an enemy came. It doesn't say when they woke up, anything. Just they never knew what happened. Right. Right good seed was planted in good soil. They never knew weeds were planted in. And it says when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. So once it's already grown, once it's already among you, right? It says the owner's servant came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? That's kind of like, God, didn't didn't you build a good church? Did, didn't you pay the price for people to be righteous? Where did this wickedness come from? Yeah. Where, where does this come from? And he says an enemy did this. So I want you to get, they're both growing. The weeds are prospering off of the nutrients of the wheat. Yeah. So the wheat is suffering due to the weeds prospering. Wow. And so you would think at this point he would overreact. He would just jump into action. And they said, Do you want us to go and, and pull them up? He said, no. God, why don't you just deal with wickedness now? God, why don't you just vindicate us now? God, why don't you just pull this away from us now? He says, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Wow! Now think about this. You may mistake a wheat for the weed. Now, some people call it tares because they look the same until the harvest season, right? The, The tares that grow amongst the wheat. But in this... How many of us would struggle more if God just went through and wiped out the wickedness all around us? Because we identify the wicked in what we don't like, but right. how many of us love someone who has wickedness in them and it would destroy us if God were to come wipe them out? Yeah. But he's patient, right? Yeah. Even giving them time. And so he says this, let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. The vindication doesn't happen until the reaping. Wow. So again, point number one, sometimes the wicked are gonna prosper and they may prosper right in front of you and steal your nutrients. They may rob you while they're growing, but God is mindful of you. He's not wanting to destroy you. So sometimes the righteous suffer, but God is still our redeemer. He sees the bigger picture and he has a great plan of how he's ultimately going to punish what's wicked and vindicate what's righteous.
1: Incredible lesson from Job. Another lesson that we learn here is that suffering can also be a form of instructive discipline for us. Job's friends just insist that Job, you are under God's discipline because you are wicked, but that wasn't the case. And we know that wasn't the case because in the beginning of the book, God had called Job righteous. And so we have these three cycles of dialogue, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar all coming against Job, these people who are supposed to be his friends insisting that is wicked, and then Job is going back and forth with them. They go through the whole cycle again, and then a third time Eliphaz and Bildad come against Job. At this point, Zophar has nothing else left to say in the third cycle. And but, his wife. Right. And his, his wife. His wife gives him a hard time too.
0: Yeah, dude, when 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 the snake can't get to the man, he goes to the woman.
1: Man. You see what I'm saying? Point. Like,
0: listen, if you do this, you'll be cursed. You will die, right? Yeah. Satan couldn't get Adam to eat the fruit, so what's he do? He goes to Eve, who brings him the fruit, so he'll die. Yeah. What happens with Job? He won't curse God and die, so what's he do? He goes to the wife, and what's she do? Come to him, curse God, and die. Right,
1: right. So while all of these have come against Job through these three cycles of dialogue, at the end of the third cycle, this new guy shows up named Elihu and My we man. don't see him anywhere else until we get to this point in the in the dialogue and he speaks of Job's suffering in a different way than Eliphaz or Bildad or Zophar have again their constant claim has been Job you are suffering because you are wicked but now he comes in and he says something a little bit different. So Job 33 verses 17 and 18, Elihu there says that God may allow someone to suffer to turn them from wrongdoing, to keep them from pride, to preserve them from the pit, and their lives from perishing by the sword. And then he goes on to say about God allowing suffering in Job 33, 28 through 30, God has delivered me from going down to the pit and I shall live and enjoy the light of life. God does all these things to a person twice, even three times to turn them back from the pit that the light of life may shine on them. So the idea here is it's not just because someone sins that they suffer. God can use suffering as a way to keep us from sinning as a preventative measure in our life. And I want to just share a quick testimony here. There was a time when I walked through a season of suffering where people, people slandered me and my family relentlessly. And and I really tried to walk it like Job, maintaining innocence. And so when people couldn't truthfully find and identify sin in my life, like Job's friends could not truthfully find and identify sin, they accused him of all kinds of things, of being stingy with money, all kinds of things that God had already said, that was not true of Job. He was generous. He was righteous. He was holy. So when people couldn't find that about me, then they turned attacks on my family, much like the enemy here. They couldn't rightly accuse Job and so the enemy attacks his family, his children are killed in this story. I mean it's terrible. And
0: those closest to you don't vindicate you. Right. Because they're fearful of what if it is true.
1: Right, exactly. And
0: you know that's that's one of the hardest things is you would think that we would look at a person's character and say, Oh, well that's not them. But so many times you know we sit back because we're scared what if they did do something and we speak in their defense and then we look bad and really the truth is you'll never look bad for speaking in defense of someone right because you defend them right if the truth is that they've done something it will come out yes but you'll never be re- regarded in history as a fool for defending somebody because of their past testimony
1: right yeah so this was this was a struggle that I walked through <clears throat> people came against me when they couldn't find sin in in my life to take me apart over. Then they bothered my children. They brought threats against you. It was just a very difficult season that we walked through. And man, I struggled with it very much like Job. I begged God to vindicate me like Job. And I even questioned, has God's favor departed from me like Job? And Matt, you said something super helpful to me when we were walking through this. And it's amazing that I had read Job so many times before, taught Job in this way that sometimes God uses suffering as a form of instruction, not just as a form of correction. But until I experienced myself and had you connect the dots for me, I don't think it fully resonated. But what you said to me, in that season, I remember coming to you in tears and saying, I haven't rebelled against God, I haven't wronged these people, so why am I going through this? Why am I suffering in this way? And you asked me a defining question.
0: Who holds you accountable? Who
1: holds you accountable? And when you ask me that, I sat and thought about it, and I said, well, you, my husband, and God. And and when I responded in that way, Matt said to me, exactly, you don't have a lot of people in your life who you have to answer to, who hold you accountable. And maybe that's okay if you're diligent about self-management and you're always faithful to God, but you said, Tina, everyone needs accountability because Satan is out to deceive and to destroy all of God's children. That is his plan. And so... What my husband shared with me was, maybe these attacks against you have been allowed by God to create something that you need, which would be a heightened sense of accountability in my life to keep me far from sin. And the next question you asked me was, what effect have slander and false accusations had on your character? And my answer was, it's caused me to be more mindful than ever of my conduct, to consider every action, to consider every word that I say, and to make sure that I don't misstep because I know there are people out there who want to find flaws in me and who want to destroy me. And so I'm gonna be more careful than ever to speak in righteousness and to walk in righteousness and to follow God. And you said, exactly. Do you see how God is using that? And that's really what we get from Elihu's discourse in these cycles of dialogue at the end of Job where he finally comes into the scene and he says, God may be allowing you to suffer to keep you from sin. Discipline isn't always punishment. That's a big thing we need to learn from Job. Sometimes discipline is just accountability. And if it keeps us from sin, then even suffering is a real blessing in our lives. Romans speaks to this. Paul says in Romans 5, 3 through 5, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then James says something similar. James 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything.
0: It's hard because sometimes we don't see the, the potential mistakes we could make. Yeah. We think, well, I'd never do anything like that. But the next season might walk you right to it. Remember, we, we talked about David. Yeah. David was righteous. He was blameless. Then, right. But after God had vindicated him and made him king, in that new season of kingship and power and prominence, he sinned. Yeah. And so sometimes the persecution is good because it keeps us. The accusation. Yeah. Guards you against the temptation.
1: Such a good point. And 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 that was transformative for me in dealing with suffering. And I will always remember and appreciate that lesson that you brought to me.
0: So. I think it's important that we, we can and should always go to God. You know, Job never gets to hear what's happening in heaven. Right. You know, the devil comes with this arrogance that he can turn any man away from God. And we picture this wager in heaven, and that's not what happened. God didn't just bet on, on Job's suffering that he could control him. Yeah, God looked at Job's faithfulness and says, you can't get him. Yeah. God staked his reputation on Job. Job just doesn't know that because if God told him, hey, buddy, I'm going to put my reputation on you and I'm going to have your back, but you're going to suffer for a little while and then I'm going to bless you more than you've ever been blessed. Yeah. Then who couldn't accept that for a moment? Right. You know, but Job doesn't get that. And the thing is, he's not he's not in error for asking God why. He's not an error for questioning. Great point. And, and that's what we feel guilty of is, can I ask God why? We should go to God. You should yeah. say, God, why? But the thing we start seeing in Job is he's got a misconception of God. And so he, he should go to God. Yeah. But instead, look at what he does in Job 23. Start with verse 8. But if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he's at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. And so Job, in this moment of suffering, has forgotten God is everywhere. Yeah. And he's not seeing him with his eyes. And so he, 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 he's in this, having this dialogue where he, he talks about God, but he's not talking to God. This whole time, Job... Does not go to God. He he humbles himself, he fasts, but he doesn't ask God why. Right. He just says, I can't approach him. Right. He complains about not being able to talk to him. And so it's it's not until the very end of the book that he's like, oh, after God addresses him. Yeah. And really, if you look at what God says to him, God's pretty harsh sounding. But the nuts and bolts of what God says is, you're not talking to me, you're talking about me. You should have come to me. Yeah. You've asked all these questions. Let me answer to you who I am. And what all of God's dialogue closes with is pretty much, I am everything and I am everywhere. Yeah. But you spoke about me, not to me. Yeah. And I think that's so powerful because God, even in our ignorance... When we get caught up in the why, and sometimes we would rather sit in the negativity of what's going on than actually go to the one who can address it for us, Yeah. right? That God, even in this, he doesn't forsake Job. He blesses Job. But his whole, his whole message is, you, sh- you can come to me.
1: We've talked about that before in this podcast in a prior season in the book of Lamentations. Another example of God welcoming our questioning Welcoming our wrestling. It's okay to ask these questions and wrestle through the character of God because, again, in that we learn and we grow, but the wrestling doesn't look like just talking about God. Yeah. It looks like talking to God. He wants us to come to Him.
0: And sometimes there's nothing that's going to happen in this life. Yeah. Sometimes you can't do anything about it, but God takes the intensity of our emotion. And invites us to sit with him in it. You know, we hear people quote all the time, be still and know that I am God. And that is the hardest thing to do is yeah. to sit in a storm and know God is still in control. And so that's why we hear Jesus in the New Testament in a storm say, where's your faith? Yeah. And He, he does stop the storm, but they're still at sea.
1: Yeah.
0: And the thing of it is, I'm with you. Sometimes storms are going to happen, but I'm with you. And so we're going to see this play out more as we go through the Bible. There's books of Jeremiah and Lamentations. We're going to see the wailing. We're going to see the crying of people. We're going to see the urgency of God. Where are you? What are you doing? And in, in these situations, there are harsh seasons. Faithful people will walk through because of the wickedness of others. Right. But God has a plan and his vindication doesn't happen on our time.
1: Well, good way to think of it. Is God is our Father. And if you're a parent, if you have children, when, when your children are struggling or suffering, you don't want them to keep that from you. I think one of the hardest spaces to sit in as a parent is not knowing what's wrong with your kid. You know, sometimes during teenage years, especially kids can become mm. shut off. Mm. You can see that they're having a difficult time, but they don't want to share it with you. And that's agony. We want our kids to bring their difficult things to us because we want to carry them. We don't want them to carry those things alone.
0: Even if we can't take it away from them. Right. We want to sit with them. It's the hardest feeling in the world is when your kid looks at you and says, I just want to be alone. And you're like, man, but I, I just want to walk with you through it.
1: And so imagine God, imagine him sitting in that seat when we're struggling, when we're suffering, when we're asking why, and we don't just talk to him.
0: We talk to social media. Yeah. We'll talk to counselors. We'll talk to everybody else that hears and lets us sit in our pain. Yeah. But the one person who identifies with it and loves us through it is the one person we don't want to go to. And I think a lot of times that's because we're scared of actually coming out of the pain because sometimes the journey out can be harder. And so we're gonna see in day 17 of the reading that God may even change his mind because we bring our request yes. to him. So just because right now God may not be moving because he's got a bigger plan, it doesn't mean that we can't audaciously come to him and to the point to where he's gonna be like, okay. I mean, we see people throughout the Bible and we're gonna see him as we study to where they come to God until God changes the plan. And so I love how the Hebrew writer puts it in Hebrews chapter four, with verse 15, he says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin And then it says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Now it's God's throne of grace, not judgment, but grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Not then, not in heaven, but now in our time of need. You know, Job said, if only, if only there were someone that I could go to. Look at Job 9 in verse 32. He's not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. (laughs) That's pretty harsh. And then he says in verse 33, if only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. And I love this because the Bible says that we now have someone who is in heaven on our behalf, who has experienced it. Jesus, our high priest, he knows temptation. He knows pain. He knows suffering. He knows rejection. He knows persecution. He knows false accusations. He knows all that. And so what do we have? An advocate, an advocate on our behalf before God's throne sitting there saying, hey, I get it. And so we can go to God. We can cry out to God. This shadow that is pointing to Jesus here, this shadow that is pointing to someone who can mediate on our behalf, someone who gets us, who understands the pain, the heartache from a mortal level, who can help the eternal God identify with that experience and who loves us so much to be able to say, hey, this is their pain and it's real.
1: That's profound that Job is longing for that and crying out for that millennia before Jesus' ministry here on earth. He knew that he needed it and what a blessing that we have it today. So there's no excuse for us to not turn to God. Great lessons that we learn in the book of Job. Sometimes we are going to suffer even when we are walking in righteousness while we watch people who are wicked prosper and we may not get the vindication that we want on our timeline, and we may not even get it on this earth, but we will get it. God is ultimately going to judge, and He's going to judge righteously. Also, suffering can be a form of instruction, not just correction. If you're suffering, don't let your mind automatically go to, what did I do wrong? If you've been walking with God, we can act in ways that bring suffering on ourselves, but suffering is not always indicative of wrongdoing. Like it's Job's al- friend said.
0: It's always good to evaluate. Right. Maybe there is something I'm not seeing, right? But if not, don't just jump through, God's done with me. Right. God doesn't hear me, and God doesn't care. Look at it like, like Job, you don't understand what God is doing. And it may be that you're going through a season because he believes in you. Yes. It may be that you are vindicating God. Now, I challenge everybody for this moment. We want God to vindicate us, but have you ever stopped to think that how you endure these seasons may be how you vindicate God to the devil himself?
1: That's incredible. And... We are more likely to find those answers if we do, like you said, and take the concern to God, take the pain to God, take the questioning to God, wrestle with God. Don't just talk about him, but address
0: him. One of of my favorite prayers in this season of my life right now, there are times that are hard. And after I've taken everything to God, I've decided to start closing my prayers with this. God, help me to honor you, to vindicate you, And to glorify you with the integrity I walk through this season in. Wow. So I I get to walk out of those prayers like, okay, well, I'm going to defend God right now. Yeah. I'm going to prove God's goodness and righteousness. Remember when Paul begged him, remove the thorn from my flesh. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient. Yeah. And when I walk with a thorn in the flesh or you or any of you walk through trials and tribulation with joy in your heart, you exalt you exalt the goodness of God. You exalt the grace of God. And when people see it sufficient for you, they begin to understand it for themselves.
1: Incredible. So, we want to leave you with a few questions to consider based on this week's reading and on this episode. Number one, what sufferings in your life have actually been blessings? to hold you accountable and keep you from sin. Mm. Think about those things. Number two, can you think of a time when God's discipline in your life saved you from destruction? (laughs) Number three, can you acknowledge God's goodness and sovereignty even when you are personally facing hardship or injustice?
0: That's the hard one.
1: It's hard. And number four, are you aware that you can direct your hurts to God through Jesus Christ who is our mediator, the one that Job was looking for. So thank you all for joining us. We hope that your reading of Job is blessed and draws you closer and closer to God as you become more in tune with how much he loves us through these studies of God's character. And we will see you back next week where we are going to talk about a Genesis event of heaven touching earth. We'll see you then.